We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Uh, before I start today, I just want to say thank you very much to, um, to Pastor Darren and, and Pastor Ben for, for allowing me to be here and, and to speak and, and the honour that it is to be able to speak on a platform that has been created by these guys and previous pastors beforehand. So I think let's just give our, let's just give our leaders a bit of encouragement, give them the biggest blessing you can this morning, clap harder for them than you did for me, please, definitely do that. It's, thank you so much for welcoming our family in and, uh, and for allowing me to be here today. Um, as Ben said, uh, yes, we do uh, look after the kids' ministry up there. And because we have three kids of our own, and our, our youngest, um, almost two, and our oldest has just turned five, um, that and kids' ministry has made it so we can't really get down here as often as we would like, but we still keep you in our prayers. Um, I love this congregation. I love this town. Um, I love the church. Um, and today I, we're going to speak in the Word, and it's going to be from uh, Matthew 22. Uh, but before we do that, I thought I'd start off with a bit of an example. Who, um, who has ever sent a text message to someone? Uh, they've invited you to something, or they've, you know, there's they're something that you've had planned for ages, and you have to send a text message to say, sorry, I can't make it. Yeah, and you go, oh, sorry, I can't make it. I'm so sorry. We can reschedule. We can do this. We can, you know, I'll make it up to you somehow. And you get a reply back, and it's okay, full stop. What does that mean? If, if you're a man, it's probably you just said, okay, full stop, and you're okay with the whole lot. If you're a woman, it could mean any of a hundred different things. Who knows, you could sit there for a long time reading into it, and you could come up with a hundred different ideas, and it's probably not the correct idea. And the way this links uh, into today's message is we can read the Bible and we can read the same scripture many, many times, and sometimes we get a new idea, we get something fresh, but everyone has a different perspective and there's all these different things and often the same word can mean multiple things. That okay might just mean okay. That okay might mean I'm angry with you. I'm not going to talk to you until you apologize and you, you grovel to me. That okay might just be, hey, I was just about to get in the car and I'm running late. You don't know what it is. And, then, and so when we read the word of God, there's, there's this situational, right? We might be in a position where we might be feeling anxious or anxiety. And so we read the word and we see within that a way that can meet our anxiety. It might be that we're dealing with our kids or something like that, and so we see it with a different perspective. I see the Word of God with a totally different perspective now that I have three kids than when I was just married, and then even when I was married compared to when I was single, compared to when I was a teenager in youth and getting up to all the things that youth do. The Bible shows us different things at different times, and uh, today as we read Matthew 22 verse 1 to 14, I want to look from three Three sort of different lenses. The first lens we're going to look at is what it would have been like to be a Jew as you were sitting there, an Israelite as you were sitting there listening to the Bible verse, what you would have been thinking, how you would have been saying. Because it's easy now that we've, we know what's happened with Jesus and we know how everything's happened. It's easy for us to look back and make the links, but they would have had to, in their mind, be going, how does this relate to anything that we know? Then there's the bigger picture, and that's how this scripture relates to the whole kingdom of God. And the third uh, way I want to look at this is how it personally applies to each and every one of us. And so I'm going to read it through, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sort of look into it in more depth. So it's Matthew 22, 1 to 14, reading from the NLT. And uh, Jesus has just finished telling all these different parables uh, to these people. Um, the verses directly before this actually say um, that the Pharisees realized that they were the evil people in the story. And so they started to think, how can we arrest Jesus? But they were afraid to do it in front of the people. So you've got to understand, when Jesus starts to speak this story, he's got half of the congregation sitting there going, we want to arrest you, we want to get rid of you. 
And so it's not an easy story, and he tells it anyway, and it says the parable, this is the parable, and it's called the parable of the great feast. It says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants, is there a buzz? Is that from me? Nope. Look at that. See, that's the, that's the Pharisees in the room right now. They're trying to stop the message. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. This wasn't the invitation. He notified them that, that it was happening, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and the fattened cattle have been killed. Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. It's pretty rough. The king was furious, as he should have been, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. He said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honour. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. And in the parable, it says friend. And I like that uh, we were talking earlier about he, he talked to Judas and said friend. And uh, I might make a, a side note at the moment. Often in the Bible, when Jesus says friend, he actually says something afterwards that you wouldn't think a friend would say to someone. And a lot of people might write in the commentaries, oh, this is Jesus being sarcastic or he's preparing them to hear something. But I just believe that even though Jesus had to address an issue in their heart, he still believed in friend. He still thought, you're one of my kids, you're one of my friends, you're someone, I'm sorry I have to say this, but I have to say it. And so in this story, it says the king said, friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. It gets pretty hectic pretty quickly. And that's probably the first sign that this has a bigger picture than just a story about a banquet. God, I thank you for the word that's been to be spoken. Lord, I thank you that uh, it would pierce into our hearts, it would pierce into our souls and it would create something that would inspire us and encourage us. And at the very least, it might give us a, a new method for how to view uh, the Bible when we're reading, Lord. But I, I pray it goes more than that. I pray it goes deeper and that there's a, there's a true conviction in our souls of, of moving forward and what we can do to continue to follow you in bigger and better ways. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Everyone now knows something about this story. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard it and you've now read it. So you know something about this story. Some people may have studied it in depth for years and years and years and you know more than I know about the story. There might be some of you, you've heard messages on this before. Everyone knows something, but for just a moment I want you to forget everything you know about it. And imagine that you're a Jew sitting in the temple. You've just sat there for a few hours while Jesus has spoken. You've just seen the Pharisees and the Sadducees get angry. There's no air conditioning uh, there's probably parts of the room where the, the smell is wafting in from the, 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 the horses and maybe cattle that people might have brought to town, the donkeys. Um, you, you're sitting there and Jesus is telling you this parable. Half the people in the room already don't agree. And he says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. As a Jewish person, you would know 
all the way from back in the forefather, the days of Abraham, that weddings are a big deal in the Jewish culture. A wedding was like the closest thing you could get to like what they believe was the celebration of who Jesus was, or well, who God was and who they thought the Messiah would be. A wedding was this joining of two people together to the point where they forsook their families and they started a new family. And it, it talks multiple times about it being courted together with God. It, would be a, a, it wasn't just what we have a contract today, but it was a covenant. It was something you didn't break. It was something that if you broke, you would, you would fear God for breaking it. And so a wedding was a big deal. And now you're talking about a king's wedding or the son of a king's wedding. So how many times in a lifetime does the son of a king have a wedding? Maybe this happens two or three times if they have two or three sons. And so this is a big deal. As a Jewish person, you're thinking, this is a big wedding. This is like the feast of feasts. If they're going to do something, this is going to be the place to be. You don't want to miss out. You want to be on that invite list. You don't want to just be watching it from home on your TV set. You want to be there in the room eating the food. And so we move on in the story. It says, When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. You see, the banquet, at my wedding, we had you, you turned up to the reception, and the food choice you had was there was a plate with chicken and a few vegetables, there was a plate with uh, steak and a few vegetables, and if you didn't like it, you'd swap over, and there was like a, a, a table that had some lollies and snacks on it, and that's what you got fed. And people told me, Yeah, it was beautiful, it was amazing. That's not what this is. This is like weddings would last for days. Wedding feasts could last for days. This was like food on the table. This was, if you go hungry after this, it's your own fault for not eating. This is like you've got all the choice of everything. It's not like you had to eat Jat's crackers. You had meat. You had, you had everything. You had grapes. You had wine. You had all the choice of everything. And I don't know about you, but I'll let you know a little secret. When I go to someone's party and they have food on the table, I don't fill myself up with the bread and the crackers. I go for the things that are a bit more expensive that I don't eat very often. If I see blueberries, I'm there eating the blueberries, right? If I see salami, it's like I'm getting that salami. I'm not, I'm not picking up those few things. If I see macadamia nuts or something, it's like I'll take handfuls of those things because they're worth, they're like gold, right? And so you're out there, you're thinking about this feast, it's amazing. And as a Jew, you're thinking, why did these people refuse? Why are they not coming? Because at the very least, if they don't come and that king's not a good king, that king's going to do something that's going to, you know, punish the guests for not turning up. At the very least. And if he's a good king, you'd want to be there because it's an amazing time. And so it says in verse 4, after they had refused, he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bulls and the fattened cow have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. In other words, I'll entice you a little bit more. Let's invite... If you invited someone to your wedding and they initially said no, would you try and convince them to come after that? Would you go out of your way to try and convince them over and over and over? You'd be like, oh, if you refuse, you go do your own thing, I'll find someone else. But this is a gracious king. This is a king who goes, well, just in case they heard wrong, let's go and tell them again. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers, insulted them and killed them. He was ignored again. This gracious king ignored. They're too busy. Servants killed. Hey, I invited you to a wedding twice. Yeah, I don't like being invited twice. I'm going to kill you. It's pretty hectic. The Jews would be thinking like, there's something going on here. There's definitely something going on here. And obviously verse 7 says that he sent out people to, to get rid of those that had killed the messengers. And that's fair enough. Verse 8, he says... 
to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I've invited aren't worthy of honour. In other words, there's no one here and there's a feast. Do something about it. And so he says, go out into the street, all the corners, and invite everyone you see. And so the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. So he brought in, there would have been people there in suits. There would have been people there that came on on horses, there would have been people there that came on donkeys that were too small to be ridden. There would have been people there from Glenelg. There would have been people there from Elizabeth. There would have been people from Edithburg. There would have been people from the other side of the peninsula, down Marion Bayway. There would have been people of all different places, people wearing crocs, people wearing suits. All the good and the bad together. And you think, oh, this king is very gracious. And he walks in and he says, he came in to meet the guests. He noticed a man wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. And he said, friend, this is going to be good, Jesus. He said, friend, you know, obviously he's going to say something about this guy. And it says, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? And see, this is where we've got to stop because we think, oh, maybe they couldn't afford the wedding clothes or maybe they didn't get the memo or maybe it was so rushed that they had to come straight from the street. But another thing about a Jewish wedding is a lot of people would travel for days and days to get there and often they had no way of bringing the right attire with them. And, uh, and so the, the host of the wedding, the ceremony, the, the host of the ceremony would often have spare clothes there to give to the guests. And so for this guy to have got in and not be wearing the wedding clothes, he would have first had to, to turn up and not ever had a single thought about dressing properly. Then he would have had to at the front door deny probably several times this, uh, this guy at the front door that's saying, no, put these clothes on because the king's not going to be happy and he denies it over and over and over again. And the king asked and the man had no reply. So then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen. And at this stage they had heard, many people in the room would have heard previous parables where Jesus ends it with those that don't see the kingdom of God being kicked out with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is when the Jews would have said, okay, there's, there's a seriousness about this. There's a seriousness. If we don't look into this deeper and see what's going on, those that turn up and aren't prepared, aren't dressed, they're going to be kicked out into utter darkness. They're going to see hell. And it's, it's, it's a pretty grim picture, especially if you're a Jew and you've been raised up and you know the first five books of the Bible. You know that how the Messiah is supposed to come. You know how a lot of the things are supposed to end because you've, you've invested, you've seen what the prophets have said, you've seen this. And some people in their heads would have been thinking, maybe this is us. Maybe we're the ones that have done this. And so if you look at it from the, the kingdom perspective and from our perspective now, you see, yes, God is the king in the story and the son is Jesus. And so this puts even a, a bigger... Uh, this makes this even a bigger event because it's the God of the universe and it's his son. And there's a wedding banquet where there's people that have been invited and the people they're talking that have been invited are the Jews, the Israelites. From time before time, they had been rescued by God. They'd been brought out of uh, captivity in Egypt. They'd been uh, saved from the Assyrians, from the Babylonians, from all different... But at the same time, they'd be sent into that captivity because of their disobedience with God. And so over and over and over again, God had invited them, come, come and live the life that you're supposed to live. And they'd said, no, nah, no, nah, we want to go off to our own thing. They made a fattened cow. It only took two or three days while Moses was away for them to start building a cow, to start building an idol. That's how quickly they returned and stepped away from God. And we sit there and we think, how could you do that? And it's because for us to be chosen, we have to choose God. 
But for them to be chosen, they just inherited that, and so that's a totally different thing. There's a different respect there. And so the, the messengers he's talking about that was killed, that was the, the prophets, that was the kings, that was the, the judges that were there, they had been killed. The messengers that God had sent, the people that didn't even listen. And so God in his grace has said, okay, go and invite all the people. And this is where we come into the story, as the Gentiles, the good and the bad. Can anyone in this room actually say you're all good? No, I can't even say I'm all good. So there's a little bit bad, there's a little bit good. He invites everyone in. He opens this invitation to the whole world. And so now you've got sinners. You've got people of all different backgrounds. You've got people in uh, people who have lived what would humans would call a good life and people that have lived a bad life and they're given the opportunity to feast at the king's table, the opportunity to be in God's presence. And then it goes one step further and it says there's a man there who isn't prepared. And some, again, some Bible scholars would go, okay, well, the clothes, like you look through the Bible, the clothes are talked about as clothes of righteousness. Well, at this stage, this guy, there's no evidence that this guy's actually met the king, and who knows that none of us are righteous without meeting the king. And so I believe when it talks about the wedding clothes, it's probably just talking about preparation, being prepared. And it's saying that this guy, with all his chances, was still not prepared for the kingdom of God, was still not prepared to walk in the front of the, the king. And he gives him another chance. He says... How is it that you're here without wedding clothes? I don't believe that was asked as like a judgmental thing. I think that was asked as like, give me some sort of excuse so that I can invite you into the kingdom of heaven. Give me some reason why you haven't accepted my clothing, you haven't accepted, you haven't prepared. Please give me some reason why. Because I think God would go that distance. He goes for the one. He keeps going and going and going. Many are called, but few are chosen. And so this is where we, we can look at it. And we can say, obviously, the kingdom of God... Everyone is invited, and the kingdom of God is for everyone, but not everyone is for the kingdom of God. And so this is where it gets to the point where we can say, okay, how does this apply to us? How does it apply to me today? Obviously, if you're in this room and you've given your heart to Jesus, you are the chosen. You've chosen God. God's chosen you. You're blessed. Um, It's this transaction that we don't deserve. None of us deserve it. But God says, hey, look, you take on my righteousness, all your sin, all your shame, all the days where you don't quite live up to standards, like Ben said before, all those days are wiped away because you've been chosen. But then as you're chosen, you're no longer just an attender of the feast. You're no longer just a tender of the banquet. You become the servant in the banquet. And so that's our responsibility to then go and invite everyone we see. And we saw a beautiful example of that, of of people traveling halfway around the world or not even halfway around the world with $3,000 and being able to invite people in. People that might not know the kingdom of God, you know, the the Great Commission says, go into all the world and spread the gospel. And we've got that beautiful example, that beautiful picture, and that becomes our mandate to do it. But you know this, and this is as much as an encouragement as it is sad, not every single person will hear, not every single person will listen, and most of them won't even come to God. But that doesn't stop us from continuing to invite. Because what about the person that we do invite that does come to God? The celebration in heaven because of one person. The parable of the farmer, Matthew 13, 3 to 8, it says, Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and as he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. As you would know, 
if you uh, go and try and sow a seed and you're a farmer on rock, it doesn't come up. Or if it does come up, it whittles away pretty quickly because there's no water. Other seeds fell amongst the thorn and they actually grew, but they were choked out by the plants. And then there's the seeds that fell on the fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60 or even 100 times would have been planted. That's what you want when you sow your seeds. Any farmers in the room? You want the 60, you want the 100. Preferably you want more than 100. And then Jesus, later on in this verse, in 19, he says, and he explains this, he says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those that hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. And the evil one quickly comes in and snatches away the words that were planted in their heart. The seed on the rocky soil represents those that hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Who knows that as believers, we're going to face problems. We're going to be persecuted. And more and more and more, as the world moves further and further away from this period of time in the last several hundred years where the, God has, uh, where the church has actually been high up in society and now we're heading back down again. And we're going to be persecuted. But you know what Jesus said? He said, you're going you're to get more than what I got. And that's scary, isn't it? But there's comfort in this because if we stick through... We end up being those that produce the 30, the 60, or even the 100-fold. But the sad thing is that these people fall along, along the way. People get crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, and so they, no food is produced. And like I said, this could, this could make me quite sad. Because who has ever tried to invest enough time in someone? It might be in sharing God's love. It might be... It may even be just in something like, hey, I want to help you be better financially and they don't listen and things go wrong. You might have tried to help someone in a relationship and it, and it just doesn't happen. Who knows that at the end of the day, that person has to make up their own mind. That person has made a choice. They're going to make that choice. But does that stop us from helping people? And so our job is just to scatter the seed. We've been chosen, so we scatter the seed. We keep scattering. And I don't say do it in a, don't do it in a weird way. Don't be the guy who stands on the corner and goes, you need to come to church. Otherwise, this is going to happen. You need to come to church. You need to come to church. Because chances are you're going to scare people away more than you will attract people. But um, just this week gone, uh, my wife, Michaela, the other person in the room that has dreads. Um, yeah, there's only about three of us in our dross and two are in my family. So as soon as you talk about that family with dreads, they know who we are. And um, she was at this, um, as part of like the arts thing that's going on, she was at this... Um, she was making pots and stuff, pottery from clay and everything like that, and she was talking to some of the women there, and a woman she hadn't met, and they got talking, and she wanted to know Michaela's story, and Michaela goes, oh, we moved down from Queensland just two years ago, and we live in Ardross, and she goes, oh, I know you. I thought, oh, what are you going to say to me, Michaela? She goes, I know you, your husband's Cody. He's actually painted like three of our houses, and he's got two more houses to paint. He's like the loveliest guy ever, and he answers phone calls, and he does this, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, we, we, oh, we just love this guy he's ever, and like, I know from talking I know who she was talking about instantly because I was working at that job at that time. Um, this was about, uh, well, I was working at that job about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and um, talking to um, this lady, I thought, okay, I know that she's not a Christian because in the two conversations I had with her, she dropped a few F-bombs, a few S-words, a few not-so-savoury things, but at the end of the day, she knows my character and she's fallen in love with my character. And this isn't a big note myself, but it's, I'm hoping one day she asks, I say, Cody, how come you're so nice? How come when you're working, how, how did it get to this point that you're being recommended because people want you in their house? And so don't be weird about it. 
just be a good person. Just, just be nice to people. And eventually they're going to ask you why you're so nice. Because how many people know there's a lot of terrible people out there? Not in the countryside. There's a lot of less in the countryside. I come across a lot. But I'm from Queensland and the Sunshine Coast. And I tell you what, we've gone back for a few holidays and it doesn't take long for you to sort of start to realise that people don't care about you. And you think, oh, all it takes is a few conversations with people and they see you care. And there's your chance to invite them into the kingdom of God. What's the reason you love me when no one else does? What's the reason you continue to help me when no one else in the community helps me? Why do you keep listening to me when I know you don't want to listen to me, but you still do it anyway? Your chance to say, hey, this is why, and invite them to the kingdom. And the second thing, I might ask Sarah um, to come up and just play some music behind just to set the, the mood here. Second thing is we must remain ready we must stay prepared. We must keep our clothes on. Pun intended. Carefully. We need to carefully make sure we stay clothed as we await, as we continue to serve. There's a Bible verse earlier in Matthew where they come to Jesus and they say, it says, many will come to me and they will say, I prophesied in your name. I helped out the poor, I did this, I did that. And he will say, well, get away from me, I never knew you. And so that teaches me that there, you can be serving, you can be doing what you think is right for God, but you've actually put your clothes down. Or you've let those clothes tear to a point and you haven't even realised it. Maybe unintentionally, you've stepped, taken a few steps away from where God wanted you and you feel comfortable, so you take a few more steps away. I don't want to trip over, and it's hard to walk backwards when you don't have two proper legs. And you're walking away and, and before you know it, you're like, how did I get back here? And all of us experience this in life, right? I've experienced it in life. I had a time several years ago where I woke up one day and I thought, am I even going to heaven? I had, I'd, I'd, I'd stepped away to the point where I was caught up in different types of sin. I was caught up in, in uh, what I thought was going to be the rest of my life. I um, Believe it or not, Michaela's the second woman I ever got engaged to. I was in a, an engagement that almost went to a marriage that was, it was pulling me out of the kingdom of God. And it wasn't necessarily her fault, it was just I put my focus on a girl and on, on what she wanted rather than a focus on what God wanted. And so if we're not careful, our businesses and our farms, our families or our relationships, our pursuit of earthly fame or riches, the worries of this life come and they take a bigger position in our life than God does and our clothes begin to tear. And if those clothes tear too much and we don't realise it, and the worst happens and we end up in front of the king and the king goes, hey, what's your excuse? What is our excuse? So then how? How do we stay prepared? Like, what is the conditions of preparedness? Romans 10, 9 to 11 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart. So it's not just believing in your head. It's not just thinking, oh, I think that's right. Believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved, that sharing, that inviting, that, hey, this is the reason for who I am, this is the reason for how I am. It says, as the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Is your trust in God? Or is your trust in something else that is good but not as good as our God? Let's get real. Is your trust in your, in your next harvest and how much money comes in? Is your trust in how much money you can make to feed your family? And it's getting harder to do so. 
Is your trust in a partner? Is your trust in a parent? Is your trust in whether your kids are doing well or not? Where is your trust? Because above all that, like those things are good to, to be concerned about and to worry about and to protect, but the biggest thing we need to protect is our relationship with God. Because out of a relationship with God, who knows, the blessing flows to all those other areas. Trust me, the times in my life where I've been walking close to God is the times when I don't have to worry about meeting the bills on the table. Uh, I don't need to worry about where my next food is coming from. I don't need to worry about what people think about me. I don't need to worry about where I'm going because I'm so close to God that it's like it doesn't matter anymore. And hey, that's where blessing flows as well. Who knows, a lot of things in life, when you stop caring about it, it actually gets better. When you hand it over to God, it gets better. And so you might be here, and I'm not going to assume anything. You might identify as someone, no, I'm, I'm right with God. I'm 100% right with God right now, and that's great. You might be someone that says, oh, I've taken a few steps back, and if I keep going this direction, something might not happen right. You might be someone who's found yourself, you're all the way back here, and you're so far in that you can't even admit it to anyone. Because you don't want to break someone else's heart or you don't, you're trying to keep up appearances because you know it's going, to be a, it's going to be a lot harder to reveal it than it is to, to just stay there. But I tell you what, you walk further and further away and your clothes get less and less and less and they fall apart and they tear. And There's nothing you can do that can take you too far away from God that you can't come back. Need proof from this? Matthew 18 12, 14 says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. And that's why I say when he says, Friend, how is it that you're here without wedding clothes? Like, what excuse do you have? Give me some sort of excuse that lets you off the hook that my grace can flow in. But who knows, there's people out there that they, they've left no excuse. And we don't want to end up in that situation. But there's good news here. It's no matter how far you get away, no matter how far you might find yourself, there's always a way back. And I, and I go to a story called the the prodigal of the last son, and this is the last verse we're going to read, and then after this I'm going to pray for a few different groups of people in here. You've got this, this son who is in the father's house, and then he decides to take his inheritance early. He skips off over to Adelaide. He spends it all on whatever he fancies. He spends it on new cars. He spends it on girls. He spends it on all the types of food you can think of, and all of a sudden he finds himself without anything. And he's too ashamed to go back to his father. And so he takes a job at one of the local IGAs or a food lands over there. And all he's doing is sweeping the floors and doing the dishes. And in the story, it's he's in pig slop and he thinks to himself, even the servants in my father's house are better off than I am now. And he humbles himself. And he realizes that he's gone far away. But you know what he does? He goes, I'm going to return to the father. It says he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being calling, called your son. Have you ever felt like that? Are you feeling like that right now? 
You'll know in your heart if you're anywhere on that journey. You know, this is what the father says. And the father obviously represents God in this story. He says, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Bring him the clothes. Get rid of the tattered clothes. Get rid of those things that might have fallen away. Find him the finest robe. Find him the the proper wedding clothes. And guess what? We're going to have a feast. We're going to kill the fattened calf and we're going to celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now is found. And so the party began. And often we go, okay, that, that refers to the people that don't know God. But who knows? This story started with the son in the father's house. And slowly by slowly he slipped away. But he runs back and the father opens his arm and says, here's your wedding garments. You don't need an excuse. Here's the wedding garments. Put them on. Here's some sandals for your feet. Stop wearing those Crocs. (laughs) Sorry if you wear Crocs. Just replace it with a shoe that you don't like and we can be even there. I don't want to offend anyone. That wasn't in my notes. Don't want it to throw this moment off. God wants to clothe each and every one of us. He wants us to renew whether we're, whether we're standing there with perfect clothes or whether we're standing away with the, the last threads. He wants to renew us. And so I'm going to pray for two things this morning. And the first, first group of people I want to pray for is those that are saying, hey, I need to up my game a bit. I need to get back into the fight. I need to become that servant who is, who is putting on my best who is seeing every opportunity to invite, doesn't want to do it weird, but wants to pick up their game in inviting people into the kingdom of God. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you first. And then the second group of people I want to pray for, I'm not going to ask for anyone to raise hands. You know in your heart. And like I said, the only prerequisite is when I pray that you believe in your heart that God is who he says he is and that you confess with your mouth. And so we will do an answer. I will pray something and you will answer back. And if that's you, and in your heart you need to say that, then you will know if it's not you, then pray with your brothers and sisters that need it this morning. And so the first prayer, and I want all eyes closed, let's focus. God, I thank you so much right now for those that say, hey, I need to step up in my game of, uh, of bringing all people into the kingdom of God. Maybe I've become slack, but God, I just want you to give me wisdom. When we ask of wisdom, you give it to us, Lord. I want you to give me ideas. You know, all creativity flows from you, God. So we ask you for ideas. We ask you for a fresh anointing. May those people that maybe look at us and don't understand, maybe they start to ask questions. May we become those workers in the field. We know the field is ripe for harvest. You told us that, Jesus. Send us into the lives of people. Take us across the paths. If it's a family member, Lord, don't let us give up on that. Just like my auntie prayed for my dad for 30 years and then the answer was when I got saved in a completely unrelated situation and then he came to God. May there be stories like that flowing everywhere, Lord. May there be a renewed, ignited passion for inviting the good and the bad into your banquet feast so that we would feast together in the kingdom of heaven side by side. And that second prayer... If you're that person who's like, I need to run back to the Father, I need to get those garments, I need to restore my relationship with God, I want you to believe this in your heart and confess it with your mouth. And we're going to all say it together so that no one feels out of place. But repeat after me, Dear God, I return to you 
I confess my sin. I turn my heart to who you are. I believe that you are Lord and that you were risen from the dead, that you sent your son to atone for my sin and I accept the garments that I may be found in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Can we just give a, a round of applause to anyone who may have made that decision? It might have been a first-time decision. It may have been the hundredth time. Like I said, there was a point in my life where I had to come and say, hey, I'm far away from God. And you know, the first thing I did was I, I, I didn't admit necessarily what I'd done wrong to people, but I made sure that I got around the right people. And so I was in a place where I wasn't serving in my church. You know what I made sure to do? I turned up for prayer. I got on a few teams because I knew if I'm on a few teams, at least people are speaking life to me. They're not speaking death like a lot of the world wants to speak. So if that is you, be sensible about it, but just find ways of finding yourself accountable. Get back in to the swing of things. Take the next step and, and do something amazing. And if you're in here and at the very least, the only thing you said is, oh, I can read the Bible out of different perspectives. Well, I hope you got something out of that. Uh, thank you very much for this morning and uh, make sure you hang around, uh, have a coffee, get to know some people because who knows if you're that person that uh, might strike up with a friendship with one of these people that needed it today. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time.